1: health and agriculture and find food truth. And to help us do that today, I have as my guest, Carolyn Cohen. She is a graduate from Brown University. She received a master's degree in education from the New School for Social Research. But what she's doing now is she is the founder of Food Fight, co-founder, excuse me, of Food Fight. And she is incorporating something that is near and dear to my heart, which is media literacy, into the curriculum to help reduce what is truly a ravaging illness among our youth, which is obesity. So, Caroline, welcome.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I'm delighted. Now, I have to ask you a little bit about your past to understand your present. So, you majored in education, and you were a founding staff teacher of the Institute for Collaborative Education. Tell me how you went from being a history teacher to getting into food fight.
0: Well, I think it really started from just watching how my students ate, what they ate, and realizing that they were just eating the worst foods and developing the worst palates and that they made no connection between what they ate and how they felt and how they did in school, not to mention how they looked, and that there was no education to to teach them any of these basic notions about food and what was in the food that they were eating and kind of understanding the food system, that they were a part of it. Whether they acknowledge that or not, they were all a part of the food system.
1: And how did you become interested in the food system?
0: I actually, I think, took a more personal path. I mean, you know, just when I finished teaching, I had my own children and had to suddenly be responsible for feeding them. And in doing so, just found myself reading a lot, I think, starting with Michael Pollan's Omnivore Dilemma, and feeling that if my students read what I was reading and kind of was learning, they were learning with me what I was learning about how our food is is produced and distributed and what goes into it and how it affects the animals and the workers and the consumers. That there would be a real revolution. I mean, I would I I felt like that they would be as enraged as I was by the information I was I was reading about.
1: And is that what you're finding?
0: So, yes, it is, to my great delight. So the food fight really was born out of that feeling. Um, my co-founder is also a longtime public high school teacher, and we really set out with the mission to educate students to, to understand food better and their food, and you know, we put in our mission statement, you know, its role in their lives. We've been in the classroom so much, we piloted the the program in 10 schools, 10 public high schools in New York City, and it has been incredibly inspiring and encouraging to to hear what the students are saying about this course and how it really is making them think in much deeper ways about food and and changing what they eat and buy. I mean, all across the schools, students are talking about how they're not drinking soda anymore and they're radically reducing their consumption of meat and eating much more fruits and vegetables and drinking much more water. I mean, we feel like they are it's as if we had paid them to say these things to us, but they're so fired up about, about this information.
1: Yeah, I do find that students and children in particular, of all ages, something happens to us along the way, but when we're young, we do seem to have this innate sense of justice. Do you agree? Do you find that in your students as well? I do agree. And particularly, you
0: know, for teenagers, anyone who knows teenagers, you know,
1: they're all
0: about social, I mean, so many of them, you know, they want what's right for themselves. They don't want to feel manipulated or played. And when we kind of unveil what is kind of going on behind the scenes in the, in the food that we eat, it's, very shocking it's shocking for adults but i think it is particularly shocking for teenagers who don't want to feel manipulated particularly in the part of our curriculum where we we begin with this media literacy piece where we talk about how branding and marketing shape what they eat and buy and we talk about the millions and the you know the billions of dollars that go into targeting them and the techniques that are used to you know lure them into buying the food that they eat And, you know, the multi-million dollar campaign that just goes into researching what teens are interested in, what they like to buy, um, where they like to shop, and then the resulting campaigns that are built around selling to them.
1: Yeah, I agree with you with regard to my own experience in using media literacy in the classroom is that when children learn how they are targeted specifically and specifically designed to be manipulated – They step back and say, whoa, wait a second, I don't like being tricked. And then, you know, it it sort of moves us away from traditional nutrition education, which is typically somebody wagging their finger saying, don't eat this, eat that, to let me help you figure out on your own what is best for you to eat and how that partners with what is also good for the planet and the, the nature and the living things on this earth that you love.
0: Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, I think that that's also why we start with the media literacy pieces because it does immediately make them engaged. And we don't, we don't even introduce food until the middle of the course. I mean, you know, the first the first third, I would say, is focused on the media literacy piece for that reason because it really does. Everyone watches commercials, and wherever they go, they are bombarded by advertisement. And so for them to understand how that works is a critical piece of what we're doing.
1: Well, we should probably let our listeners know what media literacy is. And the way I teach media literacy, and I, I certainly want you to describe your way as well, but basically media literacy is composed of four elements where we help youth. See the messages because sometimes we, you know, I have a great colleague, Roy Fox, at the University of Missouri who says we're a lot like fish in that we are swimming in advertising, but we don't see it. So we're like fish in water with regard to the way we swim in advertising. So we have to help youth see the advertising. Then we help them analyze it and evaluate it. And by that, we mean deconstructing it so that we can analyze it. And then finally, we help our students create media, especially media for their own peers. So tell me a little bit how you're using those components of media literacy and if you've folded in anything different.
0: That is more or less what we do as well. I mean, uh, we, we do a similar kind of deconstruction of the techniques that are used to lure them in. So, you know, we look at the way that beauty is used and celebrities are used and sex is are used and all of these techniques that are used in ads and we spend a lot of time looking at ads and how they're constructed and talking about them and then as you mentioned uh, in your own work that the students create their own ads using these techniques then we start shifting to look at ads around food in their in their neighborhoods and their communities and kind of understanding their food environment through advertising and that's kind of how we move into the food piece of the curriculum.
1: Now, when we talk about the students creating their own media, are they predominantly using? Are they using radio? Are they using YouTube? What are are they using? A wide smattering of channels.
0: Well, right now, since this is our we just finished our first pilot, and they have been mostly using print ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been making their own print ads. We're actually looking. We want to have flip you know, the company or another similar company donate movie, you know, little cameras so that they can do 30 second clips of commercials. That would be, I think, really great. And they're so good at it. You know, they're yes, so they nice, are. creative and they're so technologically advanced. That right. It's, it's a lot of fun for them to do it. They
1: love doing that. Are there certain issues in particular that they seem to gravitate to or are they all across the board? I mean, once we get into the
0: food, they really, you know, they're very interested in what goes into the food. I mean, this is, I mean, it, did you mean in terms of the advertising? Or yes, in terms of the
1: subject matter.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely are, you know, repulsed, by, and as we all are, to hear what is, goes into making fast food. And they're shocked. And, you know, many of these students, I would say uh, the majority of these students live off of this food. I mean, they have it at least once a day, if not two or three times a day. And, you know, they they come to school with chips and soda for breakfast and they have KFC for lunch and McDonald's for dinner. I mean, we're not talking about students who have fast food once or twice a week. It's really reached levels where where this is the majority of their diet. So to learn that how, how processed food is processed is pretty shocking for them
1: do they feel like they have alternatives
0: that's the million dollar question really is so what are but yes they do i mean at the at the end of our course they certainly do i mean they're prepared by having the skills and the tools to make healthy affordable meals we teach them how to make a variety of meals that they really can do very very in you know, a very affordable way. I mean, everything ranging from, you know, raisin beans to salads to lentils. And so they have some basic cooking skills. And, you know, we talk about alternatives to fast food and ways that they can avoid it and bring their lunch and what that would look like and areas in their neighborhood that they could go that are not fast food establishments. So that's all addressed in the course. Absolutely. And they all take on social action projects in the course where they have to choose one issue that they explore in more depth. So it could be something having to do with the cafeteria. It could be like one group did a bodega project where they went to the local bodega near their school and asked the owner to offer a five dollar package that included a you know a hummus and pita sandwich and a piece of fruit and I think it was water. And um and that was and they agreed that they would you know, they would guarantee that like 25 kids would come at lunchtime if they put together this package, and they did, and it was unbelievable. I mean, the bodega owner was thrilled, the students were thrilled, and it's such a simple example of ways that you know the the business people people on the business end can make a profit, and because that's their main concern, and the students can have healthier options.
1: What I really see from this example, Carolyn is that the students learned that they had a hand in their own fate. Right. That they they had a way to be what I like to call a food citizen and influence their environment rather than feeling like they were disempowered. Right.
0: That's our goal. That is absolutely our goal, to create a movement of these students. And, you know, so many great social movements, social change movements came from are young people, you right. know, looking back. And we really feel that adolescents have been left out of this conversation about how to address and combat the real crisis that we're in concerning obesity. I mean, we are just, we must do something. And we feel like that they can lend a very important voice to all of this. And, you know, they are, they are consumers in their own right. And many of them, you know, are going off to college in a year and are going to have to fend for themselves, so... The idea is to create a movement of of young people who are invested in this issue and want to see real change.
1: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Carolyn Cohen. She is a graduate from Brown University. She received her master's degree in education from the New School for Social Research, and she left the classroom to co-found Food Fight, which is a marvelous New York City-based nonprofit designed to revolutionize the way teens think about food and impact on their lives. Carolyn, I want to get back to some logistics. You know, every time we want to bring something into the classroom, thanks to the constraints of test scores and such, I think if you talk to teachers, and you should know better than anyone on this, but when we talk to teachers, they already feel so consumed with the curriculum that they have to get through. How is it that you were able to find time in the day to introduce this new curriculum?
0: First of all, we mapped the state, the New York State standards for English, history, science, and health in our curriculum so that they do meet those standards so that teachers teaching our course can adequately meet the standards for their course. So that's one way we did it so that they can kind of kill two birds with one stone. But also we're working with schools, um, initially that have more flexible schedules that are not you know as tightly bound i would say to meeting all of these standards in the, in a prescribed way i'm trying to think if they're all in alternative an alternative district and i actually don't think they are but for a variety of reasons they were able to squeeze in the course and we have we have the course right now is being taught actually in a history english health science and we have one teacher who just signed on with us um for the spring who is actually a math teacher So it should be interesting to see how that works. But these are schools with more, you know, kind of, I would say,
1: open scheduling. You know, when you said math, I celebrated a little bit over here thinking, Oh, yes. They can compare the price versus the cost. Right. And they can get into a whole chapter on full cost accounting. for what. There's we...
0: actually a lot, right? And portion size and reading labels, there's a ton of math. And there's in. a ton of math. And even the media literacy, I mean, the, the economy, kind of understanding the economics behind food and how much, you know, how much money is generated from, from teen consumership and how much goes into these ad campaigns i mean there's there's a lot of math actually
1: yes there is and <laughs> it really is helpful that you have this tremendous educational background because you know, being a dietitian and looking at it i see i don't understand all those standards like a teacher does so it's really great that you have these partnerships i wanted to ask you also about going into the classroom and the kinds of students that you reach you mentioned that the students Are preparing to go off to college. What about the students who are not preparing to go off to college? You know, how do you see differences in the application of the information that you present to them? I really don't. I mean, I think,
0: you know, healthy food is just a basic human right, and knowing, understanding, having access to it, understanding what it is, and being able to make it for yourself is something that every human being should have and i i don't really see a difference and i you know i'm thrilled to see there are all these efforts working now with younger children and um and i think it's great i mean i think that all people need to know these basic skills and we have become so alienated from this basic part of being a human being mm-hmm. um, so i i don't know if i if i I mean, we haven't made that distinction yet. I mean, it could it could be that we see that we see one evolve, but it hasn't yet. Um, we have become part of more kind of we're, we're we're kind of pursuing the option of becoming a part of a kind of culinary track where where students sign on because they know that they want to go into the culinary arts. But the truth is, we really don't see ourselves as a vocational you know mission. It, it's not. We we see this as something that should be a graduation requirement in every single high school in the country.
1: I totally agree with you. You know, I used to tell my children when they were young that they had to learn how to cook because it was a life skill. And if they right. didn't know how to feed themselves, right. then they were going to have to depend on somebody else to do it for them, and they probably wouldn't do it as well as they could.
0: Exactly. And, you know, we come up against this idea that education does not work, that education is not going to make a dent in this obesity epidemic. And it's, as educators, it's incredibly frustrating because we know that education can transform, you know, the way somebody thinks and acts. And, you know, and Mm. we've seen it firsthand in the classroom. So we've certainly, you know, proven that not to be true, but, just as an idea, you know, so many of these people have become who they are through education. You know, I mean, it's such a, it's it kind of like the vehicle through which people think about ideas and make changes and choice in their life. So we, we just feel like, you know, as much as we applaud the efforts to remove candy and soda from vending machines in schools and offer healthier choices in school cafeterias, all of which are so important We know that without the educational piece where students buy into the idea of eating healthfully, it's just not going to gain a lot of traction. You know, you can put kale in a cafeteria every single day, and unless students get why it's important to eat it, they're not going to eat it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Not to mention the problem for high school students that, you know, they they never eat in school cafeterias. I think the number is somewhere around 12% of high school students in New York City eat in school cafeterias. Hmm. So it doesn't, even focusing on the food in school misses, you know, misses many of the students that, that are not eating there.
1: I thought it was interesting. I, of course, I went to your website to learn more about Food Fight, and one of the bullets that you have about the obesity epidemic is that most New York City public high schools do not teach health or wellness as part of their regular curriculum. And I thought, whoa, there is a problem right there. And I know that home economics was such a, oh, I don't know, sort of an old-fashioned kind of concept. We had to rename it. So it's not called home economics anymore. It's called human environmental sciences. But those were optional courses, if I recall. They weren't even mandatory, teaching people basic life skills. Right it's interesting, I mean that's exactly
0: how we kind of we, we always laugh when we think of it it's like an, you know a modern home ec. yeah, uh, <laughs> it's called food fight, but it's really true i mean i when when I was growing up, it was a requirement, yeah, I mean I had to learn how to sew and cook, and this was a public this was a public school system in New York, uh, right, so it is i mean we we do view it as that, and um we do think it should be required course particularly given the crisis that we're in.
1: Carolyn are you training the the trainers are you bringing teachers together is that how you are recruiting them?
0: Yes so we are working right now with Teachers College and Mount Sinai Hospital and we ran our first teachers training program last August at at Teachers College at Columbia University and we had about 20 teachers come who learned and we, we Worked with our curriculum, but we also brought in people from the fields of nutrition and media and, you know, community activists and food activists and health experts and all of them shared best practices and really forged a community of, of teachers who are invested in teaching their students about this issue and working with the food fight curriculum. And it's, you know, it was very exciting for us too to see that it's not only a community of students that we're trying to forge, but also really a community of teachers who are invested in, in making these kinds of changes in their own schools. And so the idea will then be that those teachers will work with other teachers in the school, and that within a year or two, Food Fight will really have come into the school to reshape the way the school is talking about food. Because we also bring a lot of other resources to bear to the school. I mean, we bring phys ed activities, you know, we have a hip-hop class that we're working with, we have yoga classes that we do, there are urban gardening programs that we bring to the schools. I mean, each school is different and wants to focus on a different area, but we help facilitate those collaborations.
1: I'm sitting here, I'm so excited about what you're doing, and I'm sitting here thinking about all the ripple effects that this will have. So the students learn something, they go home, they teach their parents, they teach their siblings. The teachers go home, and they teach their families, and then they talk over the fence and over the phone to their friends and, and in their own teaching organizations. So I think that your impact, I hope there's a way to tap into it and measure it because I think your impact is probably going to be larger than you ever could have imagined.
0: Well, from your mouth to God's ears, really. I I believe that that's true, and we've seen it to be true. I mean, the kids just talking about how they're getting their parents to buy different food and to eat differently, it's just thrilling to hear them. And we've heard this actually through research that teens are the biggest driver of the family income in their home, um, that they have the biggest influence over the majority of money spent in their home. And they are talking about how they're convincing their parents to buy food that they have never bought before. So we're hoping that that's true. That's certainly the plan.
1: Do the students learn how to become politically active within the school community? I'm thinking, you know, Really, there are parents who go to the school board. I know I was one of them trying to get soft drink machines out of the schools, for crying out loud. Right,
0: exactly. Thinking
1: that, you know, if we had an American Academy of Pediatrics statement, that that would be enough to make the change. But I think in retrospect, the biggest change agents are the students. And while I might go with my scientific study in hand to the school board, I can only imagine that 20 students going in front of the school board would get a lot more punch out of the message.
0: Right. Well, that is, that is the plan, I mean, to activate these students. I mean, first they have to become aware of the problem. So that's our first mission. But definitely by the end of the course, they have to take on one of these issues, and that certainly could be one of them. I mean, we recently just had a, we actually testified for the, there was a proposal for a soda tax, in New York State, and uh, we testified at a state senate hearing, and, you know, I was just sitting there imagining bringing with me next time around, cause it was, it was defeated. But, you know, 20 students, like you said, to, to testify from
1: their perspective, why, why they
0: think that there should or shouldn't be a tax.
1: Carolyn, the big elephant in the room is always the funding issue, isn't it? You've got a great program.
0: Yes. How are you
1: funding it? We are right now
0: funding through individual donors who have taken a leap of faith with us. We had a big benefit last year and had about 175 people come out. It was really thrilling. And, um, And we have a couple of small foundation grants, and we are really in need of more funding. Uh, And so we've been very consumed in getting the program up and running and making sure programmatically we're where we want to be. And now that we've already piloted the program in 10 schools, and we'll be able to call, you know, we did an evaluation of that program and we'll be able to synthesize it so we feel like we're in a much better place to go after her significant funds and are planning to do so.
1: We have one minute. Do you want to give us a charge?
0: Yes. I mean, to educate our students about food i mean and to cook with students to get our youth engaged in this issue is 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 my charge for the students i mean we really want to bring them into this conversation and i think we'll all be really inspired by how much they have to to offer
1: well, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today, and I want to thank you for the tremendous work that you're doing and proving that it is of tremendous value. And if our listeners are interested in learning more about Carolyn Cohen's work, they can go to www.foodfight.org. We've been speaking with Carolyn Cohen. She is an educator extraordinaire, and she is co-founder of Food Fight, a New York City-based nonprofit designed to revolutionize the way teens think about food and impact on their lives and future generations, I might add. Carolyn, thank you so much for being with me today.
0: Thank you. It was great to be here.
1: In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you, everyone.